and ride with me in my foul life. You have the uh, anticipation of Goose Camp, Duck Camp, but there's no way to really prepare for it. And I want to ask you this. Like, you go to hunting camps in in uh, Florida and South Africa, and you mainly hunt Wisconsin the United States, correct? Yes, that's true. Do you ever waterfowl hunt outside of Wisconsin? Maybe Illinois, right down the border? I've, I hunt Illinois. Uh, usually in the fall, we hit Illinois when the birds, later in the season. Just drive from it's your house in the morning? Flower. Yes. Yep. So let I'm me only ask- an hour from the Illinois border, and I've hunted uh, North Dakota. Let me ask you this. Let me open the first, please. I really went all out tonight. I really went all out. He got this furniture set up. I got this furniture set up for our guests. Nice. Um, that was you, who were awesome. By have the way. you spent much time in duck camp? Because your home's not a duck camp. No, I have not. Isn't I, that crazy? Like I'm in. Uh, this is my third camp of the year with Dove, Teal, and now early season Canada Goose. Three different camps that's nowhere near where I live. Well, the first camp was <clears throat> maybe three hours from where I live, which is still a camp. I had to go over a mountain, down a new valley, and I'm at a new camp, a new lodge, new kitchen, new people, new experience, right? Um, but I started thinking about that tonight when I was watching you interact with all these guys. You're used to interacting with the same group of hunters on a consistent basis, pretty much, right? That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Right. So I started thinking about that tonight. Like, Joel doesn't go to duck camp because I'm sitting here going, Look at this camp. Like all these guys that came on tonight, there was, there was, uh, without us four, there was 11 others. There was 15 total tonight, 15 total people in here tonight. And the owner of the outfitter was here. His guides, their dad, some of their dads, guides, some of their friends up from the city, which we're going to get into later on this week. Some of their kids, some of their kids, the owner's kid was here. Um, I get, that's what I get off on is that, we're at another camp. I've never met any of them people. The only person that I've ever met here tonight, besides you, Jack, and Eli, was Matt Williams, who's, who's uh, just a friend of the owner. He's not even a guide here. He's just a buddy. He's an unreal duck hunter. I don't know how good of a goose hunter he is. I assume he's good because he's a hell of a killer, but he's a great fisherman, and he's got a big-time guide service in fishing, too, in New York around the Finger Lakes. But I started thinking tonight during that dinner and we've been talking about it on, on previous podcast episodes about what we were going to do tonight. And, but that's the first thing that went through my head and I'm watching you. I'm like, I don't think Joel, not because of the way you're acting, but I started thinking like, you don't go to many camps as far as waterfowl camps go. I know you go to Florida to kill alligators, but I don't know what the situation is down there. Is it a hotel? It's a camp. It's a camp. I take, but I take people from Wisconsin to our property and it's got trailers on it. It So it's gator camp. essentially. But at waterfowl, you don't, you're not in camp much. So I hunt five, six days a week during Wisconsin's waterfowl season. And, I'm, and we're blessed. It's such a great state for waterfowl hunting. This is the first duck camp I've ever been in. And you... It's my first experience. Let's make sure people understand that you're in your 50s, close to 60. I'm 51 still. Um, even from the previous podcast, I'm still 51. But you didn't start... When was your first goose hunt? 38 years old. So 
13 years. years ago. Yes. Was that your first waterfowl hunt? Or were you a duck hunter before then? No, my first waterfowl hunt was geese. 38 years old. In the middle of a field with uh, uh, Tom Burkholz from Tom's Gun with the back of my head up against a manure pile. What animals had you harvested or at least tried to harvest and pulled the trigger, sent an arrow down range before that day? I hunted. No, that was it. That was the first you time. You never I... hunted. I never hunted. Didn't have a dad. Where'd who you grow up? Waukesha, Wisconsin. In the and heart you of, didn't have an uncle? Heart or of hunting country. Your dad's I was brothers? a fisherman. If you were a fisherman. When people ask, do I hunt? I'd say, I hunt fish. Fishing was my jam. I loved it. Crappie run, big bluegills. I like catching big, small fish. Bluegills, crappies, perch. That, man, that's what I loved until I discovered hunting. Okay, so... You don't start until that late in your life, so you didn't develop a lot of bad habits, so you start learning from mentors. I mean, I'm talking about hunting. I'm like, you kind of were kind of a mature person and a, a learnable, a teachable person by the time you start hunting. A lot of people start hunting when they're 10, 11, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, when they're kind of just taken after their dad when you're at the point of you've been through college you're educated you've had bosses before you've probably been in leadership roles at this time in your life and you probably have a pretty good knack for learning and being a sponge and soaking it in so your learning curve probably isn't as drastic right like you pick up on it pretty quick oh yes i mean i mean i loved it the first time i went i still have the picture holding that goose at the back of a tailgate and I was a state representative. I was a member of the House of Representatives, and I was literally knocking on doors, uh, asking asking for votes. And I stopped in Tom's Guns in Marshall, Wisconsin. And I knocked on the door, and I walked in, and Tom Burkholz looked across at me, and he said, uh, "If you're a conservative, you'll have my vote. If you're not, you won't." That's the first thing he said to me when I walked in. That's the first thing. And. I sat on a stool and talked with him for about an hour and a half. And he had all these like old school kind of mounts. You know how you can see mounts and you know, they're old school. They oh, yeah. just look old school, oh, yeah. you know, deer heads and, and waterfowl mount, cobwebs, cobwebs out, on them, different worn out. poses. Yeah. You panel, panel wood on the walls. Eyeballs you know? aren't the same as I, they are. Eyeballs are a little cockeyed and had one of the greatest talks with him. And he's like, well, you should go hunting with him. And I said, tell, tell me what to do. Tell me what to buy for a license. I'll go. I'd love it. I'd love to go with you. And I don't think at that point he thought I was going to take him up on it, but I did. But you had no intentions of like, you weren't, I want to make sure that the listeners understand that you weren't like already watching tons of outdoor TV. At that time, it would have been maybe TNN, the Nashville network with some hunting on it. It might've been the verses. It might've been the outdoor channel at that time, but you weren't renting DVDs and buying hunting videos and no, watching. I a watched bunch of fishing shows fishing on shows. Sunday, like local fishing shows. And that was like, so you weren't, you were, I was in, right about the time I started you my local fishing and hunting show. at all. Then not really. It was fishing for me. Did I you? Didn't, I didn't know anything about it. When you fished, did you fish to eat at that time, of or did you, or was it catch and release? No, no, I was fishing crappies and bluegills. So and you knew that when you caught a fish, you were killing it and you were eating it with the family. One hundred percent. So that mentality's there a little bit. Catch and release in the frying pan. Do you agree in today's world that that people 
don't even bat an eye that a fish dies, right? Like you could catch a fish and eat it and people are like, what just happened? And then if they see an animal die and you cook it, they're like, that is just not right. Like, have you seen that? Have you ever it paid attention to It does blow my mind. Like people what? don't care fish that fish are animals. Die. People don't care that they die though. Maybe a shark, maybe a blue whale, maybe a killer whale. A whale like when the whales start to die or the dolphins or all of those stories about Sea World and Shamu right. and all that shit. But when a trout dies or a bass or a perch or a walleye or a halibut, people are like, uh, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like fish are supposed to die, but a deer's not. Well, I have met people who are diehard opposed to hunting. And then what are you doing? Well, I'm going to go tie flies and go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing, but hunting's horrible. Like that hook fishing's does, okay. Like that hook doesn't tear the shit out of that fish's right. mouth. Right. Or that would be the worst pain in the world. You ever been fish took just with a finger? You ever had a wrestler put his finger in your mouth and just rip your cheek apart? I don't like think it's the so. worst pain of your life. It sounds painful. It it's looks painful. painful. So I've always been enamored by like, okay, so fishing's all right. So obviously you're in a family that eats fish. Yes. You catch fish, you kill it, you bonk it on the head or however you kill a fish and then you fillet it out and you get the, sure. whatever you get, you debone it, you get the guts out, you do what you need to do. So when you go hunting, you don't have any foresight to say, you know what, I'm going to make this. Cause now you're like, you're like, you would give up pretty much anything in your life besides your family to go hunting. Correct. Like you're going on a vacation Hunting's with your daughter zen. to Spain Anxiety. and you're going to leave her in Barcelona on the beach to go kill a deer over there. <laughs> you're going to be like, see ya, honey. She's going to be touring uh, Toledo, She's going to be alone while you're killing a deer. Well, she's going with her boyfriend, so they're going to do a little tour of the leather the shops. But before, yes, you yes. Don't, you don't book I don't a go on a vacation unless You don't book a trip unless you could kill someone. No, some. I do not. I got to hunt. So when you're when you're coming up and you're, and you're in that, that mindset of like, okay, I'm going to try it. Tell me the feelings that happened that day, because you know, I, I, I'm going to get back to our original, our, our original um, thoughts on this podcast of camp, because camp is special to me. But I, I got to thinking tonight, like, I don't think Joel's ever been in a real duck camp mm -mm. and I've been in thousands. Like, I no, hosted that's exactly a duck hundreds. camp. That's the first experience Mine, I had with it. Yours. When I was there at yes. your house, but yours, yes. but that's not really camp. No, it's my you house. know, every nook and cranny of that place right. until Axel pissed in your vent. And that was. Not good. Anna in the vent of my house. Anna V caused that. Um, we'll the talk air about conditioning her. smelled like dog urine for we'll, about we'll three months. We'll talk to Anna about that. She causes that. But um, <laughs> so tell me about that day. You're in the field. No, you're, it's got to start before that. Because if I'm being truly honest, I'm thinking to myself, all right, here's not only a constituent, but a voter and a, a community leader. He's got a business in the town of Marshall, right? So I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of like, when he challenged me, would you go hunting with him? Would you actually go hunting with me? I said, yes. And I had never been hunting. So I didn't really know. I didn't really have any expectation of it. Uh, all I can tell you is when he said, be at, meet us at 4 a.m. in downtown Marshall, which is about 45 minutes from where I lived. I got up. I remember getting up at like 2.45 in the morning and thinking, this is a giant ball of horse shit. Hunting, you thought that right away. Well, no, I just thought getting up at two forty-five in the morning to do anything is ludicrous. That's how I felt. I can't. I, I can't moment. argue with that. And, it is ludicrous. And I remember. I, I I vividly remember thinking that I'm driving. I was driving to Marshall to meet a man I had met one time in my life to go in the pitch dark with him to the middle of nowhere. He could have just as soon offed me in a cornfield 
Joe Pesci put style cement, in casino. cement shoes on me and to toss me in the river. Is there mafia in Wisconsin? Well, there's there's mafia everywhere, Chad. In today's world, yes. I mean, okay, there's organized crime everywhere. So I went, I went and met up with him, and I remember walking because I, all I had, I mean, I had bought some some Walmart, you know, camo. Like, red ball, some red ball waders. I went, some, I went and bought like some, you know, uh, camo pants, woods camo, wood, you know, with leaves and acorns on it. And I showed up at his place and we went in a truck. And I remember the most vivid thing I remember about it is the smell. The farmer just spread manure Ooh, on the field. That's great. It smells we like went, money, huh? And he was, he said, we've got a good hide, but he, and he started laughing with his buddy. And I don't remember his buddy's name who was along. And we set up our layout blinds at the base of a giant manure pile. And I just remember thinking, this is the rankest smell. I mean, we Did were Did you use the manure pile the as manure. a backdrop? Yeah. Or why, why, right. Why'd you sit around the shed? Yeah, the manure power pile was our backdrop is it, for Was our it heads. the best backdrop with the wind It was that the day? only contour of the field. I do remember that. Okay. And it was... Uh, I want to say it was a bean field. Beans. I want to say it was a lot a bean of beans field. in Wisconsin. There are a lot of beans, but I don't often hunt beans because it seems like the geese prefer it. And it's so they funny because it was such a hyperbolic uh, learning curve and a hyperbolic love that grew from it. And I remember this too. This and he, this is the story he tells. He tells many, 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 many people that he took me for the first time hunting, and he always tells the story that when we had the geese and we had them piled behind us and at the time it was two geese per person per day in wisconsin and you had to punch a punch card and call them in and all the rest and he piled we put the geese behind each of us one each that we had shot and we knew and there were just three of us right so we knew what we were shooting and he put the geese behind us and one of the geese jumped up from behind me ran around and started biting my face biting my head while I was in the blind. This was the first experience I ever had hunting. Started, like, jumped up from the pile, came and started biting at my head. And I, I vaguely, I do remember, I vaguely remember it. But that's the, the, he tells that story. And to see, I mean, he's like probably a 70-year-old dude now. And to see him tell that story and laugh is worth it every time he tells the story. And I left that and all I wanted to do, I remember it now vividly as I did back then. All I wanted to do was eat that goose. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world that you're going to sit there with a fire rod in your hand and take something from the wild and cook it. And I remember going home. So we got back, we breasted out the geese at Tom's shop and I took those goose breasts home and i remember i think i put like salt and pepper and olive oil on them and put them on the grill and thought this is gonna be the greatest thing ever and I, i'm i know i overcooked them but i wanted to make sure they were cooked all the way i didn't know anything about it and that was my first experience hunting with tom burkholz and i was absolutely hook line and sinker Done, done, done at that very moment. What made you hook, line, and sinker done, done, done besides the idea of cooking them and feeding your family? Was he calling them? We were, he was calling. I didn't we have were a, or he was? He was. I didn't have Flute a lanyard. call or short read? It was... 
That I couldn't tell you. I don't remember. Did he sound like geese? Pro- yeah, it did. It did so sound was like he, geese. Was he working geese? Like he could. He was a very, very, very experienced gun hunter. I mean, his 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 shop uh, sold shotguns. Tom's gun sold exclusively shotguns and and some rifles. No handguns. It was a hunting shop. And when Chad, when those first geese, when I saw them in the air, when I saw them in the air, and as he was calling, and they were getting closer and closer to the decoys, and I think we only had like 10 or 11, 12 decoys out, maybe a dozen decoys out, and they were the old school, shiny plastic full body decoys, no flocking, nothing like that. When they were coming toward us, I, my heart beat so hard. I could feel it in my spine. Do you know that, that when your heart beats like that and you feel it in the base of your back and that anticipation that they might get close enough to us to get a shot off was an adrenaline and dopamine push like I'd never had in my life. I've never tried heroin. But I got to imagine that's what it felt that that's what it feels like, because when they were coming closer and closer and getting wider and wider. And he said, we shoot them when we can see the white on their cheeks. And I remember thinking, wait till the white on their cheeks, wait till the white on their cheeks. And, he, and they were they came and they were boots. The first set was boost boots down in the decoys 10 yards in front of us. And I popped up and I put that bead on. Pulled the trigger and I harvested my first animal and all I could think about was eating it. Really? I was so excited. That was it. I was on Tom Burkholz to take me back hunting more and more and more. And he said, all right, now look, this is how this goes. No. You want to do this. You start knocking on the doors of farmers when you find geese in a field and you start asking them. Back then we had plat books. There was no Onyx maps. Nothing like that. We had, you know, did you remember Platt books? Oh yeah. There was no, there was absolutely no Onyx maps. You, you looked up someone's number in a book or, you know, address in a book, knocked on their door. And I remember the first time I went by myself, I bought some silhouettes, some real geese silhouettes off Facebook marketplace. And I had, there were 12 or 12 or 24 of them. And I put them in a circle around me and laid down in the middle of a field in a ghillie suit. Really? First this was time. your first time on your own. My first time on my own. Cause I did, I couldn't, you know, I wasn't driving to Tom's to hunt every time. And I had seen four geese in a field in the same town I lived in. There were four geese. And I, I watched them two days in a row and I got permission from the farmer. Four geese. Yeah. And I thought those four geese are going to come back. That's what Tom told me. Tom told me if you watch them there for two or three days, when you go to hunt, they'll come back. So I put the geese in a circle around me. I remember they were like a, circle and because they were eating those four geese were eating in a circle they looked like they were in a circle so i tried to imitate them i didn't have anyone teaching me on a regular basis so i put them in a circle around me and i laid since then are you self-taught i laid in a ghillie suit well is anyone self-taught when they continue to hunt in a group with waterfowl folks you're learning from everyone around you i don't know who you continue to hunt with were they young kids were they mentors were they people that had more experience than you were they teaching you on a daily basis of decoy spreads and blinding no, up and concealment? I, I would calling? say I, 
I I do remember um I early on I met John Whitmore who had has got two Ziploc gallon Ziploc bags full of bands and neck collars. And I ran into him in a field and he was by himself too. And we became fast friends. In fact, now I'm his daughter's godfather. And he I would say of anybody out there, he showed me the ropes the most. And he's younger than me. He's like 38. So he's like 11 years younger than me. And he showed me the ropes and dragged me along with him. And I bugged him. And he had all the fields. And he kind of said, well, it's probably a more effective way than putting a circle of decoys around yourself. And so he showed me, you want a U or a W or. I'm picturing this. You're laying in a field. In the middle of a circle. In what kind of ground blind? I probably looked like a satanic ritual. But what kind of ground blind? Were you in a, a coffin blind? I didn't have blind? a ground blind. You're just laying bu- under a sheet. No, I bought corn. a ghillie suit. Just laying in a ghillie suit. I bought a ghillie with suit. With four decoys around you. I bought a ghillie suit because I thought a ghillie suit's going to be more effective. And I, I, I don't think I, honestly, I was state representative making, you know, $47,000 a year with a young wife and, and a brand new baby. And I probably didn't have the money to go buy a layout blind at that point. And I bought my silhouette decoys on, on uh, Facebook Marketplace or eBay. I don't remember. eBay or Facebook Marketplace. So I was in the middle of the field, in the middle of the circle. And I killed a couple geese that way. I did. And I had an old, you know, pump action Mossberg that I won at a charity banquet. So tell me... After you feel like you have the wherewithal to go on your own now. Yep. And you got your decoys. I did that pretty early. I did that like right away. I wasn't afraid. So after I went with Tom, right away, I was going by myself. So how did you get on that field? You just knew the landowner. When you saw those geese on there, did you already know how to get permission? No, I didn't know the landowner. Did you trespass? No, I would not. Come on. Really? No, I did not trust me. You're going to go on someone's property and just start shooting without asking. Well, how did you know to get on there? I knocked on the door. I no- I, actually, now that you say that, I knocked on the door and the person living there wasn't the owner, which happens a lot on farms. You know, that they'll live off property or have a different ho- home and then the old farmhouse is rented out. Or, And I remember them telling me, and I think to this day, I think it was, uh, I think it was Bob Miller who I have a friendship with to this day, who owns a lot of uh, corn, you know, a lot of corn uh, in Wisconsin. And so they told me where the owner lived and I drove to the owner's house and asked for permission. They said, sure, I don't care. And so I knew that those geese were, I thought those geese were going to come back the next day. And they did. They came back. Those four geese came back and I shot one. Uh, Did they come back all together? Yeah, there were four that came they came right to that circle. So as far as moving forward into 2022, and this was when you were 38. So this is 13 years ago, which would have been 2008. Um, you're in your first duck camp, real life duck camp after that experience yeah. with, with these guys. First, that's a long time to go. You hunt your local area. And now all of a sudden you're in upstate New York in a real life goose camp of, of scouting, working, hunting. Feeding the dogs. Oh, yeah. This is a hell of a lot more work than when I'm hunting out of my house. I'll tell you that. It's a lot of work, but right? it's fun work. Um, did you, did you, you had a lot of dudes in here at night. Like, there's not a girl within 100 miles of us. It does. <laughs> That's sorry. That doesn't phase Does it me. weird you out, though? 
that it is so one-sided very rarely in waterfowl hunting is there a woman in camp and i'm not it's sad it's not sad it's 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 uh dis it's in what's the uh word when you don't when you can't encourage somebody disencouraging Unencouraging, discouraging, discouraging. It's very discouraging that you go to all these waterfowl camps. You don't see many women. Now it's changing. Is that be? No, I don't know. Not in waterfowl hunting. It's going to change. It's why fastest growing group of new hunters is women age 18 to 35. Yeah, There's 14 million deer hunters in the world. So it's going to change for waterfowl hunting with women. Count with one. (laughs) I hunt with more. I hunted with Sam. Uh, two days before I came, uh, the day before I left to come out here, there was a woman in our group. Uh, a few days before that, we had a woman in our group. Um, a lot of girlfriends of the guys I hunt with are interested in it. Jay Kimberly, Jay, you know, the yeah. skinny dude with the mullet. He had his girlfriend out hunting, sent a picture. There were two women in his picture from yesterday. But yes, tonight it was filled with dudes. So when you're in that position of your first duck goose camp, is it like, do you ever even give any thought like, a like, I wonder what it's going to be like, or is it going to live up to my expectations? Do you want more conversation? Do you want less? Like you're in there working your tail off. Um, there's a lot of different kind of camps. You could have one with a big bar, pool table. Sure. You could have, you know, you could have a lot of different games going on. You could have a big fire pit outside and music going on. So like this was just a real centralized deal of like a bunch of guys coming over. We're cooking. We're going to eat these recipes that we've talked about on prior episodes of the podcast. Yes. And they get here and it was kind of like to me i'm thinking like i'm just talking out loud like we were a little behind we started a little late because we're busy um there wasn't a whole lot of camaraderie or was there from my perspective yeah uh from my perspective i was so bu- i mean we cooked for 14 people today 18 with us 18 with us you you want and i'm no 15 with us 15 with us yeah and i'm all about getting everything out when it's all hot and ready to eat so you know to be honest with you i thought we timed it damn near perfect because all the food was hot we had our first courses we actually had an appetizer course which i'm sure you're gonna talk about at some point because we disagree on the outcome of it but and then we had our main courses and they came out like they would at a restaurant. First one was ready right away. The second one was ready 15 minutes later. Third one was ready about 30 minutes later. Um, and I, I did not have time to, to mingle and, and walk around. But what I'm going to tell you is it's this entire experience has superseded my expectation. We had a rain day. We, we had a rain day, which superseded my expectations. Because we had a scout at the end of the day and went to the top of the hill, one of the most beautiful views I've ever seen. Took a fantastic, really cool picture at the top of it. And today, I got to shake the hand of a man who was at 9-11. And I got chills through my body when I shook his hand. And he, we looked at you know each other in the eye, and I feel like I'm a better person for having met him today. 
I just met a hero. So for me, I'm cooking and nourishing from something I harvested for a hero of this country. And that is deeply moving to me. So maybe we didn't have enough time tonight to have camaraderie and games and, and buddy, buddy and, and cocktails together. But when they all came and they all ate the food tonight and were thumbs up, patting us on the back saying, thank you so much. They're saying thank you to us for something we can't possibly return a thank you. That's gratitude enough for them. And that was very, it was incredibly moving to me. Emotionally kind moving. Kind of like when you hunt with military. Yes, I'm sure. There are firefighters from New I, York I, that went through that hill. Yeah, I do, yeah, and I have Lost taken... many people. We're going to get more and more into it this week with the the aftermath of what 9-11 did to many families and individuals. Um, Do you think that you play around a golf with that man that you're talking about from 9-11, you get the same emotional connection that you do when you're sharing duck and goose camp or hunting camp with an individual? Absolutely not. Well, I agree, but I wonder why that is. It's well, almost like... First of all, you couldn't drag me by the hair to a golf course. Well, but... then, you're, then you're biased on it. But do you think that we're all competitive in nature? I'm very competitive, but I hate golf. Like, it's boring to me. Now, is it hard? Is it respectful? Hell to the yes. Like, you got to practice a lot of different things to be proficient, right? And consistent in golf. But if you go out with somebody, I've always said that you get to know somebody better and more intimately and more legitimately through camp and through a hunt, like in a duck blind or sitting around a fire, whether it's at noon, because I've sat around many sparkling fires at noon, just staying warm and, and talking with a cup of coffee. Um, I don't know if there's any other place on earth that you can 100%. get that feeling. I think that feeling is amplified because there is almost a telepathic connection between people who harvest something and nourish their bodies with it. I think it's indescribable. And I think that, and I'm certain that there is an understanding that creates a fraternal feeling with people who are harvesting something and sharing that something they harvested in a dinner together. You know, you, you know that a family is closest when they're eating together, right? So amplify that by the fact that you've harvested it yourself, your own personal efforts, mindset, energy, strategy, hands, have harvested what you're eating. So you take the most important communal thing, which is a meal, all the way back to Jesus and before, you take that most important communal thing of a meal and you multiply it by the fact that it's a shared love of the harvest of what you're eating. And I think it's even, it, it's something that's probably indescribable, but is on a higher level it's on a higher level because we're here harvesting these things and we're eating what we're here to harvest you can't explain that it's a level above eating with a group at a restaurant at a great restaurant 
It's a level above that. We're here to goose hunt and we're sitting around here tonight eating the geese we harvested. That creates an automatic understanding and fraternal feeling with people. And even the fact that I didn't have much time to talk to anybody, I made a connection, a real connection tonight with Bo um, and, and Ryan, little Ryan. I have like a connection with him. I mean, you know, he, he looked at me and winked and, was, and gave me the thumbs up. And it's like we have kind of a similar sense of humor and joking and we were laughing at what you were saying together. So even with the lack of time uh, together, you still made a few of those connections. And Dirt brought over a food processor. You know, now I have a connection with him because I'm appreciative of him going that extra mile to help us make this communal meal good for everybody. And those are things you just, you can't put a, you know, you know how it's that it factor. You can't put a finger on it, but it just is. When you think about how it went down tonight, everybody says home is where the heart is and there's nothing better than going back home. That's true in a lot of ways. Do you, are you inquisitive or curious about going to more of these five, six more a season, taking time away from your hunt group and your home life and your home camp? Um, or is one a year good enough after you experience tonight with a, a goose camp with recipes and camaraderie and cocktails and whatever was going into it? Now, again, it was late because... We're working hard. This rain really threw us for a fit here. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're coming to the end of a of the early season, they call it here in September in upstate New York, where they've been killing them since September first. They're just waiting on these molt migrators every day. They're all exhausted. They're tired. We roll in. We're kind of chipper. We're tired too. We've been in other camps, but are you do you want to do more of them after me? The, yeah. Do, would you want to be in more camps like this? Or do you because you have your hunt group that depends on you. You guys are together every day. They so, seem to be doing all right with me out here. But do you want to do more of these or be with your hunt group and stay home? More? I would. For me, it's about logistics. I would love to do more hunting camps. And when you called me and asked, it was by the grace of God that I figured it out and could get out here and do the work I need to do. I mean, my main sources of income to put bread on on my table and a roof over my head are in my consulting uh, business and it just so happened to fit perfectly if this was my life and income and uh, source for my family's survival uh, i would love to do more of these 100 percent, because you you're taking what you love and you're adding the dimension of new people, a new place, a new culture. People underestimate the differences of cultures throughout this patchwork quilt of the United States. I never imagined the majesty of northern New York state. Never imagined it. So that, I eat that up. That's what it's about I don't know if many Americans could ever imagine what we're seeing right no. now. No. I don't think they can, but that's so the the majesty of a trip, the, the, the excitement of a trip, the experience you're taking away is all of those aspects wrapped 
into a ball of what is my largest passion in life outside of my family, and that's hunting. How do you get better than that? How do you get to do it? You know, I, I made a Facebook post. We were talking about all the social media stuff before, but in that Facebook post, I put in there that I feel that I, I feel as though I don't, I don't know how I de deserve to do it because you can't express to somebody the specialness and that's not a great word, but the special nature of adding culture, personality, food, preparation, harvest, provider, belly laughs, frustrations, overcoming obstacles to have a meal with folks who are heroes of this country and young kids who are good guys and talk loud and talk too much. And I, I put myself among that group and you wrap that all into a ball. And I ask you, how does life get better than that? And yes, there are moments uh, certainly moments with your family, watching your children do things, um, being part of their lives that are the best moments you'll have in your life. But how does a life vacation break? I mean, you, you, this is not a vacation. We're working our rear ends off. But how does life get better than what we're doing? How does it get better? I don't know. I don't either. I always say that. There's nothing finer. Nothing better than duck hunting, goose hunting lifestyle. I, it's so you would say yes to more camps oh like this. Oh my gosh, around the world. are you kidding me? It's an absolute thrill and an honor to be able to experience this. And for, for somebody who is the person who's like, I don't know, I just don't know, I got my shower and my routine, and I'm afraid to, I don't want to sleep on a different bed or a different pillow. Get out. Experience life. You're never going to be on your deathbed and say, I'm glad I didn't do it. Never. And we don't know how long we got here. How long do you think you have here? I hope a while Crystal yet. Ball. I hope a while yet I'm doing. If you're a betting man, do you live until you're 70? If I'm a betting man, I'm hoping for 68. That's young. By today's huh? standards, it is. But you know, I got, I got, I've got genetic health issues in my family that I got to deal with, and I got to get my, got to drop about thirty lbs and get into some shape. But I'm going to tell you, the fact is, moments like this and trips like this are great motivators. Are you scared to die? As you get into your, I go back and forth on being scared to die because I am a faithful man. I'm just also a human who. F's up all the time, all the time, but I'm a faithful man and I do believe that there's definitely an afterlife that is at one giant dunk, duck camp in the sky. I do, do believe do? that. I do. I do believe that uh, because for me on this earth, it, you know, being with my family is the best, but it doesn't get better for personal enjoyment for me than um, being out there hunting and cooking what you kill. I get, I get as excited, if not more, with the cooking and eating aspect of it. 
as I do with the hunt. When I'm out there hunting and we have a perfect set come in and everybody shoots their lanes and, and you wax what's in front of you and you know you killed something, I'll say at that moment, oh yeah, that's better than the cooking of it. But then when I'm cooking, I say that's better than the hunting of it. So when you say that when they come in, they do it right or they do it dirty, like they say. You know what I'm talking about? Like when they do it like they did it yesterday. When their feet When they're down, doing it. Right in front they of you. They may believe down and you're just black, 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 or And all you have to do is raise that what gun in life straight is, up. What in life is even close to that? Kissing your wife? Yeah. Holding your wife. Watching them. My wife's not a real um, touchy-feely kind of person, so I would say better than that is watching a movie with her when she actually leans over and lays on my shoulder. Something so like that's that. better than the geese doing it dirty? Uh, <laughs> is I don't is know. the thought of your firstborn better than geese doing it dirty? Yes. By how much? Like, are we talking like <laughs> one level? <laughs> like you're in the way you're in the delivery room. And I the was doctor... scared shitless when my child was born. Okay, but you're in there scared and you're like, oh my god, death. it's happening, right? When that child see a, a woman who has the child, she knows that child before it comes out. She knows it. She knows a lot about it already. She knows what mood it's in when she eats certain foods. She knows when it's active, when it's not. A dude looks at that thing and meets it for the first time. He doesn't know it yet. No, and won't get to know until he's about three. And won't get, no, no, sooner oh, than that. Oh, come on. They have personalities sooner than that. Yeah, but they're on their mom the whole time. They, and that's special, that is a bond that is supersedes anything in the world. Right, but you're not. They don't. But they don't get close you, to daddy for a minute. When you get to know uh, my children, my children are the world. If someone said, "All right, look, you know, y y your kids, uh, and you never hunt the rest of your life," I'd walk away from hunting immediately, instantly, if it was hmm. a choice. 100%. If, they, if your kids had to do what? No, if like you if said you a, could be in your kid's life the like rest of your life, Liam you can Neeson never hunt. movie and they got taken and you got to go save them. Oh, I don't know. And he's also anti-gun. He's also anti-gun. I don't know about, about all that, but I'm going to tell you, and my kids know this, the most special times in my life. So your daughters are, my kids your daughters are in school right now. Yeah. Let's say they're in the band and she's like, I got a clarinet recital on Thursday. And you look at the forecast and you're like, Holy shit, it's going to be lights out, in your face, up close, boots down, freaking rocking it. Do you go watch a clarinet performance because your daughter's, or do you go and smack them? I smack them in the morning and go to the clarinet performance. Clarinet's performance is at 10. There's no way you get there. You got to make I a go decision. I go to the clarinet performance. Over boots down in the yes, decoys? Yes, yes, yes. Every time. You wouldn't just have her over to the house and I tell her to play for you again? <laughs> hey hey honey you got an iphone right yeah. record that yeah. stuff for put me put me on facetime from put the me on facetime at the concert it's hard to walk away from duck and goose honey it is if that's around it the golf is. you're like oh yeah i'll be over no there watch, I'll go it, watch is the flute. it is hard to I'll walk go watch away the Oz flute with you Ron it Burgundy. is hard to walk away i've been in a really fortunate position in my life that i've been able and my wife and i have traded mom duties I've been Mr. Mom a lot. Oh, I could tell. And and I've been real fortunate to to go to to be a huge part of my daughter's lives. And when they go hunting with me, forget about it. 
that is the best in the world. So when you're at the goose camp tonight, we'll get into some podcasts about family. It's hard to talk about priorities when it comes to ducks and geese because they they win every time. They'll ruin anything in my life. Mallard <laughs> ducks are they ruin they've ruined everything in my life. I yeah, love well, them. You heard me on conference calls from duck camp. Can you tell me that water right there, please? You heard it. me on conference calls from du- goose camp and a doctor's appointment with my cardiologist from duck camp. So <laughs> those were things I was technically supposed to be in Wisconsin for. But uh, duck camp won. It's hard to walk away from ducks and geese because it's just a certain part of the year. You can go to Argentina in June, but it's nowhere near like shooting mallards in America. You can go to New Zealand, South Island, but it's nowhere near like shooting them boots down in upstate New York. Um, There's nothing like this lifestyle. Nothing. So there's nothing else on earth I'm getting up at 2.30 in the morning to do. So let's end this podcast by this. Because you do have the energy of an infant like you're just like oh, oh stop yeah really did you see me cooking eli. tonight did Is you eli see me cooking tonight eli where's jack can you sit down on the microphone real quick okay so we've been talking about the little steps leading up to tonight eli's a pretty unsophisticated palate I'm going to say that he likes ketchup on everything on salmon burgers. I don't know what that tastes like. So I, I can't say that. You yet. would have though, if I didn't stop. I would have, yeah. Did you enjoy the liver pate pate tonight that we've been talking about? Like, <clears throat> would you get a midnight hunger and need a snack and go in there and be like, I can't wait to dive into that. You just asked two very different questions. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it is. If you love something, you're going to go get it if you know it's in the refrigerator. If you get hungry at night, you're going, oh, wow, there's some fried halibut in there. Heck, yeah, you're going to get that shit. Are you going with the liver? Not to do you wrong, I'm not a liver fan from the get-go. So, no, it'd be a no for me. Did you enjoy it when it was fresh in your mouth? I mean, don't get me wrong. It was good. It was very different. So I'll give it that. But I mean, I'd eat it again, but not as you a would? midnight snack. I mean, yeah. I'd, so maybe like and, one or two crackers. You and your yeah. buddies, you and your buddies going to Canada Goose Hunt next month? Are you pulling the livers out of the stomach? Probably not. Probably not. Joel? After you tasted it tonight, are you still a fan of the goose liver pate? Yeah, I loved it. Did you did you notice that there wasn't hardly any left of it after those guys left? No, I didn't notice that. I showed you. I guess maybe. I'm not saying it was bad, but was it good? I thought it was delicious. There were a couple guys in the group who raised their hands when you asked. Okay. I'll take it. Hi, Duff. I'll take I it. I think it was. I'll take it. I think it was good. Hi, Duffy. What are you doing, Duff? Come here, buddy. Hi, Duff. Say hi to the microphone. Hey, come here. Duff, come here. What are you doing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Say hi. 
that stuff if you can hear him breathing. Okay, the goose nachos. Lights out. Wow, huh? Lights out. And I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna give you credit for that because you're the one who who came up with the multi layers. But I don't. I'm not. I don't want you to say it like I came up with it. Like that's how I've always done nachos. Well, whatever. For whatever reason, Almost creates that's, like an enchilada. For effect, whatever though. reason, except doing them on the Traeger kept them crispy, which I think was a key. Oh, you to can't them. have soggy chips. Well, but I'm saying if they were soggy, it'd be much more like enchiladas, right? Because enchiladas yeah, are, are, are enchiladas are corn tortillas. So, that, well, flour softer than corn, right? Yeah, but enchiladas are corn tortillas, right? But softer. Yes, I, I don't like crispy corn. I don't like crispy enchiladas. I don't. Okay. I like soft. I like wet enchiladas or wet sure. burritos. Yeah, that's fine. But those nachos tonight. They were light. And you put that out. browning on them on that Traeger with that man brown cheese on the top. And that just hint of smoke flavor into the cheese. Were they legit? Everybody's oh like, wow, gosh. those are good. They were unbelievable. Unbelievable. Everybody loved them. And that meat in there, that goose that we had in there. You're not a person alive who wouldn't think that was the finest shredded beef you've ever eaten. It was amazing. Amazing. Then we moved on to the Florida alligator gyros with the so- cucumber sauce called what? Tzatziki. Tzatziki. And then pita bread. We used some of the flaky rub on that with some of the crosshairs on the Traeger, on a spit made with a hanger that our boy Bo helped you with. Um... That was good. Yeah. That was delicious. Yeah. That gator was so legit. And so, like, not unassuming, but what's the word? Like, you wouldn't expect that at a goose camp. Like, you might expect some fried gator with breading on it and somebody pulls out of a deep fryer. But to see it stacked up onto a hanger spit like that and and flattened the way it was and and tenderized, and then you you and Bo placed them on the spit and the hanger... And then you got the Napa Valley olive oil and the provider rubs and you got them all ready. And then you put it in the middle of that foil tin and have the Traeger going. Like that was an amazing, amazing meal again. Yeah, that was phenomenal. I don't know if you could beat that. I don't know if you could. Honest to gosh. I mean, everything we've eaten here in the last few days, I don't, it's like, you're not going to go to a restaurant and get alligator gyros anywhere. You know what I mean? How cool would that be, though? That would be cool. I always wanted to open a restaurant called Game with, like, all the stuff mounted on the walls, and then you just got a sheet, and you just pointed to the wall what you wanted, like elk or black buck antelope or alligator. That'd be tough, though, man, because be you'd have tough. to have everything in stock, or right. you'd have to put a sign underneath the mount, not today. Or what's in stock, should've what's been, not. Should have been here last Wouldn't week. Wouldn't that be a cool restaurant, though? Oh, yeah. All wild game? I've been to them. I've been to them. There's one in Denver that's uh, really legit. Old style Victorian house, two story. Legit. That's cool. And they serve farm raised game. That's cool. But nothing like alligator euros, nothing right. like Canada goose nachos. You don't go anywhere and go, um, I'll try the Canada goose nachos. <laughs> no, you do not. If I took that pan of nachos, okay, follow me here. And I had a food truck called Game or Eat Wild. Eat Wild, right. Or The Provider, which is a badass name. Um, Finish what you started. 
and you pull that up into a job site, you let that panel fly up in the front and people line up. And here's what I do with my, my restaurant, my food truck. You don't get a choice. It's going to develop such a reputation that people are going, you eat what we have. And when it's gone, it's gone. The daily special gone. It's not just a special. It's, it's all there is. It's all there is. You might get a sweet tea. It's all there is. Now, you put those nachos up on that and you get that spatula and you cut a square out and you put on the plate eleven ninety nine, dollars 99 for yep. Canada nachos. And people are like, Canada Goose? This is Canada Goose. Yes, it is, sir. Bullshit. There's no way it's Canada Goose. <laughs> I know. I and then love you're that. like, I swear on my life, that's Canada Goose. I love here's, that how factor. here's how he cooked it. And then you're like, um, that's $12.99 plus tax. It's a mint of a business. No and doubt. nobody can tap into it because of our shit outlook on hunting. And USDA approved Stupid meats. laws. Those Canada geese, I've eaten thousands of Canada geese. That's an exaggeration. Hundreds of Canada geese. And I've never got sick off of them. You know what I got sick from? Getting coughed on. Whoever caused the coronavirus, which I have a pretty good idea. Um, but I've never gotten sick off a of deer. I've eaten plenty of duck. I could shit through a screen door once in a while when I've eaten the wrong chicken. <laughs> that's that's is that a good is that a that's good visual? A fantastic image, thank you. <laughs> You Thank never you thought that. about that with a screen door? No. Really? No. Are you now? Absolutely. Unfortunately. <laughs> Thank you. Eli. Is Eli in here? Eli's getting drunk on cough syrup right now. Why are you drinking cough syrup? I don't yell at you. You're like, if I yelled at you, you'd be like, oh my God. I don't get upset. I was just looking at you like, he coughs a lot. Sir, cough a lot. You've had a cough for a long time. So back to the screen door, Joe. Joe. No, no. Um, we can move on I've from the screen door. I've been sick on some food before. You've had food poisoning. I got of, food poisoning I, one time at Bob's Big Boy yes. with the tapioca pudding. I can't eat maltitol. Tapioca rice pudding I got sick on. Ooh, that bums me out because I love I have not had pudding. tapioca since. I don't even think I they make it I love rice pudding. People don't make that anymore. Sure they do. It's no an way. Amish dish. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I bet there's some around here. Um, I don't know. I think that I think that when you put it into perspective of a restaurant that served that stuff, like we served that food tonight and we made a lot of people happy. Yes. We could have made ribeyes tonight and they'd been like, oh, that's cool. But to know that it was Gator and Canada Goose... That takes it to a completely different level. It's an untapped market and we'll never, ever be able to exercise that. Right. Because of our inability to see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Big picture. Right? I agree. We should be eating that every day. Every day. I do I eat it every day. <laughs> that pulled goose <laughs> That pulled goose that was left over that we did not put in the nachos. Picture this right now. You put that tomorrow in a tortilla and roll it up in a little cheesy roll up with can of goose. Oh yeah. And you and you put oh, a yeah. little you you get it obviously the meat hot 
and then you get a little bit of grease going with uh, you know the olive oil oh, yeah. and you just flash fry it and keep rolling it in there until oh, it browns the tortilla love it you well, ain't, you can't eat better well, than that I, the goose not up in wisconsin here. cheese curd chimichangas when are we frying cheese curds because now they got us going to a bar here tomorrow that's we kind of have, have to do that. We're going to bring That's the like new a, sauce, the new provider sauce. We're bringing over there to try it on the on the naked wings. But do you think we try to bring the cheese curds and see if they'll fry them for absolutely, us? Absolutely, 100%. I'm, I was already but thinking that. But do you that. think they'll take offense to it that they're from Wisconsin and New no. Yorkers are pretty prideful? I don't think they're going to give a crap. What we should do, they're so proud of their cheese curds, we'll do a comparison. Do they serve curds there? Did you notice I yesterday? Did, I did not notice cheese curds on the menu. That's the Fat Life Podcast, another episode. We're talking about goose camp. Joel's first camp started hunting when he was 27, 37, excuse 38. me, 37, 38 years old. His first duck camp, goose camp right now in upstate New York, and he's almost 60. So that tells 51. you, like, don't ever give up on your dreams, kids. <laughs> 51. Are you 51? Yes. 53. I'm 51. I don't look a day over 46. Eli, how old do you think Joel is? You guessed yesterday. Okay, well. You said 46, Eli. Did I? Yes. Joel, give me your best goose call. No. With your mouth. No. Give me your best turkey. <laughs> I can't my Oh, come on, do it. That's pretty good. Fall turkey. All right. That's it. I could talk all night. I freaking absolutely love this lifestyle. I love everything about duck camp and goose camp. We're in New York. We're not supposed to be here. <laughs> We're killing can of geese in September. In New We're York. We're supposed to be working. And it's going on Wednesday tomorrow. And I just love it. I can't get enough of it. I'm so excited. I'm so honored to do it. I have a lot of humility about it. But this is what we get to do. We got to pinch ourselves. It's like there's nothing in life that can compare to doing what we get to do on a daily basis because of a Canada goose or a mallard duck. You work hard, you play hard, you put on earth to work. Opportunity and hard work collide and you create your own luck. Some people are lucky. I'd rather be lucky than good, as a lot of people say. Bo Peabody wrote a book called Lucky or Good. I wrote it. It's a re I, I read it. It's a really, really fast read. It's called Lucky or Good. What are we? Do we get lucky to do this? Or do we do something right? Who knows? That might be a conversation for another time. But all I want to say is that if you get a chance to experience camp, Duck camp, goose camp, where there's actual skill sets being honed to harvest these animals and the celebration. And I don't mean an arrogant celebration. I'm talking about a camaraderie and a kinship celebration where the animals have sacrificed and given us the chance to eat their protein around a table with friends and family. 
There's nothing like it in the world. You can go buy your food. I want to know where mine comes from. And those geese that we ate today, those livers in the pate, 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 pretty much potty, because that's where they should be. Um, the alligator oh. euros out of the Florida swamps. Are they the Everglades? Swamp and sky. Uh, north, north of the, that one was north of the Everglades. North of the Everglades. Shot that one last year. And then Canada geese from upstate New York that are coming right over the Canadian border. Ottawa. America. I want, to, I want to tell that story. For the antis and the people that don't understand it, it's our job to educate them and keep talking about it. People are like, I don't want to talk politics. Sammy Kershaw made a song famous, Politics, Religion, and Her. You talk about politics or religion or your ex-girlfriend, it brings you down. It's our job to talk about politics and policy and what's going on because there's things going on right now that are going to pre prevent our kids, their kids, our grandchildren from enjoying this lifestyle. And we got to keep ensuring how special this is for the generations to come. And that's why we have this podcast or the TV shows or our social media or our live events. I want to try to get the message out there as much as possible. So Joel, you end it by putting in a few good words about the next generation and why we're doing this and how important a camp is. Bring it full circle of a man that's close to 60. 51. And how important this camp is to enlighten us that this is going on. This is going on. You could have put your head on your pillow in Wisconsin tonight. And there was this camp being celebrated in New York. That's right. And that's the coolest thing about this. So tell me, how important it was for you to experience it. Take us out of here and end it by saying, look, this is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. It was written by my friend, Chad Belding. <laughs> look, there's no more important thing than making sure the next generation understands and is a part of it and has the opportunities to be a part of it. I often tell people that no matter what you do in this life, the only real legacy you leave is your children. And we owe it to our children to leave a legacy of harvesting from field to table. And when you take part in a camp like this, you are celebrating that lifestyle start to finish at your own hands. And nothing is better than this. This has been the Foul Life Podcast. Here's one of my favorite songs, My Foul Life. Like 2 a.m. Like.